Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast. It's a victory, I guess Monday, a victory Monday. We're recording Sunday night, but we'll take it. A victory Monday if you're listening to this on the podcast. The Knowles start 1-0, first time since 2016, and they did it uh, pretty dominantly, mostly in the running game, a 47-7 thumping of Duquesne. The Dukes, uh, no match for Florida State, which is good, right? There was so much conversation. Is this going to be Jacksonville, Spain, here and go again? But they you know, came out and, and really... Put it to work. So we'll talk through that. We'll talk LSU and FSU also coming up next weekend. So we'll do a little preview there. Still some things undecided on LSU side, um, but we'll see what we got. We'll, we'll make our educated guesses on what we expect to see from them as they make their quarterback decision. But I, I mean, it's pretty simple. Uh, Brian, John, Max here together. Guys, Max, I think uh, pretty clear. Florida State just ran right over them. Yeah. And it's just like we were talking about in the offseason. This running back room is, is legit. It's we have weapons everywhere, and it's going to be Trey Benson who's who's going to get yards after the contact. Lawrence Sophia who's going to be explosive, and then Trey Ward, who can just do it all. So I expect to see that. Obviously not in the time where they're all going to get a hundred yards each game, but I expect to see that throughout the season. It was great the first game for momentum. Obviously, Duquesne's uh, poor tackling helped out a lot. But, you know, I mean, you saw it on the first drive. It just looked like right off the jump. They just took off. Uh, the delay added the possibility of coming out flat. But, John, they just – right off the jump, it was handoff, boom, eight yards or however. I mean, they just – it was chunk, it looked like chunk play, chunk play, chunk play, chunk play, touchdown right off the jump. Oh, yeah, like we talked about last week. It did look something like a Memphis Norvell team for the first time since he's, since he's been here. Um 
I mean, Duquesne, they're not good competition, right? FCS, but they are a decent FCS team. I think they were picked preseason to finish second in their conference. So uh, Florida State beat them pretty much every position all over the place. Uh, we talked about last week. My main thing I wanted to see was the receivers, right? They were the worst in the ACC last year. Uh, I do not believe that would be the case this year, right? Do Span look great? A couple of catches that he had. Uh, Johnny Wilson obviously made some impact plays. Um, uh, Micah Pittman was fantastic. So, and, and I saw the Nolcast, shout out to them. They had a tweet out earlier today if, if Winston Wright had been available. I, I mean, this group looks 180 already from what they were last season. So that was really, really encouraging. Jordan Travis, um, I know that was the big mainstream, I guess, opinion that he had taken a step in his development. I didn't really see it last year, but looking at the game yesterday um, or, you know, Saturday night, I felt like he has taken several steps in his development. It was very obvious to me um, in a way that would translate to a better opponent, right? So um, let's see what else. The offensive line, they executed very well against an overmatched opponent. I know there's some shuffling that went on, some injuries. Hopefully they were just being cautious. Um, and that you might, you pretty much have a full group for LSU next week going down the line. Let's see. Uh, defensive line. The, set, the, the defense, I wasn't super impressed with. They were very good, though. They would have had a shout-out if it were not for Tate Rotomaker. Shout-out, Tate. But, yeah, uh, he single-handedly ruined, ruined that. But, <laughs> it, I mean, the, the defense didn't play like I wanted them to play. But at the same time, I mean, it's too hard to fault them as the first game of the year. It's more like a glorified scrimmage. You got LSU coming up next week. You can no. tell that they didn't really put in full effort into this game. And I'm not going to ding on them too hard. Although, again, their big test will be next uh, this coming Sunday against LSU. So, And that's really the case for this whole team is where I'm at. So they did what you wanted them to do, what they should do, what they're supposed to do. Um, and now, the, you know, the real week one test is coming up. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a couple of things, and then that were interesting, especially back at the beginning. I'll kind of pick at them one at a time, but that receiving core. Um, I mean, look, you, you said Jordan Travis looked looked the part of a guy who took the step, and and obviously, you know, we're not going to know uh, on a Duquesne game. Only I, I think it was uh, maybe a dozen or two dozen pass attempts. It wasn't like he was really slinging it or needing to sling it. Um, but when he did, it was effective, right? It was efficient and effective, and. Um, you know, we we talked about last week wanting to see who those go-to targets were, and the conversation had been that he was kind of gelling really well with uh, Michael Pittman and, and uh, Max. I think I think that certainly showed. Yeah, for sure. And just like you said before, I don't know if you had said it on air, but he led the team in targets, and we're going to continue to see that because he can do everything all over the field. And we talked about it in the spring. We talked about it in the fall. Jordan Travis had a, a great relationship with him from the moment he got here. And we can see it from what it showed yesterday that when Jordan Travis was in trouble or when the play was off, then he's looking for Michael Pittman. Yeah. And, and you know, we've, we've, the other uh, fall camp darling was, was Johnny Wilson. And, and, you know, John, you did mention that he made his, his one big catch, which was uh, impressive to be behind the secondary at his size. Uh, he did. It looked like he turned his ankle there on the tackle and, and didn't play the rest of the game. I, I, looking at the replay earlier, it looks like the defender trying to pull him down kind of lands on it. Hopefully that was just a precaution. It's a wet field. And if he if he rolled his ankle, let's just keep him out. We got a bigger game next week. I don't think it's worth putting him out there, but I'm sure uh, Coach Gravel will have a better update on that on Monday. Uh, otherwise, that receiving core looked good, like John said. And uh, 
you know, outside of that, I thought the defense was solid. Like you said, John, I mean, there was nothing that I thought was like, man, this is going to be an elite defense. So one of the best in the country, but there was also nothing that said like, Hey, there's a glaring weakness. I'm, I'm afraid of that. Uh, Max, any other big positives that, that stood out to you? I guess Trey Benson, right? Yeah, I mean, but on the defensive side, some of the positives were were obviously Jared first. And I actually really liked what the linebacker room did. They they gave up some runs, but I liked Tatum Bethune. I liked the way that he – I thought Tatum Bethune was going to take time to ease into a bigger role or ease into like a leadership role. But I saw him talking to the other players. I saw him talking to Deloach. I saw him talking to – and obviously – he had to, no shots, but he had to pick up what Amari Gaynor had to do. So he was talking to him and talking to at what they have to do in that linebacker room. And he showed up. Kalen Deloach showed up. I liked what I saw from that group. The defensive line, it looked like they weren't trying to rush them, bull rush them the whole game. So we're obviously not going to see the sacks, the tackles for loss that we would if they were. I'm not saying they weren't going completely hard or, or trying, yeah. but we can obviously see that they, they weren't just – going at the offensive line the whole time because it would be a different ball game if they were. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a good point. And on, on the running back group, you mentioned they were so legit. Um, I did see – I'm curious on how we took the running back room because I saw a lot of tweets that Trey Benson, right, he looked the best. Um, I thought it was pretty clear from the way the game started that Trey Sean Ward's pretty much clearly the starter. Um, I obviously the depth chart said that, and I kind of expected to maybe be more of a rotation, but he looks pretty clearly to be the guy they want. And I, and I guess it's because he can do it all. Um, but he, he clearly looked to be the first guy. I completely agree. And I talked about it before that when we talked about Trey Benson, Lawrence Tofili and Trayshawn Ward, Lawrence Tofili is going to be that, that distance runner who's going to be explosive that can go long way. And then Trayshawn, Trey Benson is going to be after the contact player. And in, in my opinion, Trayshawn Ward is both of them. Trayshawn Ward is able to, to do different things where when a player's coming to him, he knows where to go. He knows where the gap is and he knows that he can take off when, when it's time to take off. Because of Tate's performance um, or lack, lack thereof. And the fact, you know, to Max's <laughs> point about how talented this running group is, I, I, again, I, I'm sorry. I forgot who tweeted this out, but someone, I did see a tweet over the weekend about how um, asking if, if Travis uh, were to go down, you know, hopefully not, but if he were, what would this offense look like? And they'd kind of joked whether it'd be a triple option. And I'm not joking. I, they could do that. Uh, or it could look very similar to the wildcat that we've seen in the last couple of years. So they will be able to run the ball and attack teams, be explosive on the ground, um, regardless of who the quarterback is. Uh, Duffy's obviously not ready yet, but um, uh uh, but Tate, he's just – I feel like if Chubba Purdy had stayed, Tate should be the fourth-string guy. That's that's where it's at. He, uh, And, again, nothing to hate on the kid. I'm sure he's a good kid, everything like that. It's just maybe it would be better if he kind of looked to transfer out um, just because there's just – he's not – I don't think he's going to be able to give you any meaningful snaps in his career here. Or I, I would be – maybe I should say I, I would be surprised if he did. But Duffy, you know, he's young. You still have that potential with him. Um, again, obviously, you're not going to be as good if Travis does go down. But if he does, I think you have options because of the talent in the running back room. You don't think they're just going to they're just going to throw in Duffy like um, if if Travis goes down right now, they're going to throw in Tate again, or or what do you think they're going to do? I have no idea. After after <laughs> Tate's pick, I was honestly surprised that Norvell put him back in. So I don't really know. Uh, I just I. I don't know how you can expect to get anything better 
production-wise from Tate if he were to ask him to play meaningful snaps. Um, so at this point, it, it, I guess it all really depends on Duffy's development. And maybe he's not quite ready today or yesterday, but in a few weeks he might be, right? Week five, six, seven, he might be a guy where, okay, yes, if something happens to Travis, it's Duffy that's coming in first, right? Because if you saw two against Duquesne at sometime last year, they did a lot to try to help out those receivers, right? Give them those one-on-one opportunities. We saw a lot of those bubble screens and things like that. Those are throws that we even saw Duffy make on the game on Saturday night, right? So there are some throws that they could ask him to do that he could reasonably do. Um, the toss read, you know, the read option, the power suite, all that kind of stuff. I don't see why he definitely can't run some of that stuff. He won't be like Travis, obviously, few few kids are, but he could give you something. Well, and if the receivers are really improved and he gives you what Travis was last year, then, you know, I think you could do worse. And like you said, I mean, no offense to Tate, but he's just not – he doesn't seem to be someone you can rely on as a consistent backup quarterback. Um, you know, I think if you have to go away from Jordan because of an injury, you want the guy who comes in to at least just be either very solid or wildly erratic where you might just catch lightning in a bottle one game. And I don't think he's really either. Uh, you know, I, I think he's more just wildly erratic and, not going to give you lightning in a bottle. I feel like the best case is he gives you that kind of solid and even that's kind of iffy. Well, yeah. And the thing is, I mean, we talked about it before last season, this offense uh, was good in very small stretches, but they way too often put the defense in terrible down in uh, distance field position. Right. Um, they, you know, they, the offensive turnover on their own side of the field is what I'm getting at, right? So the defense is starting at their own 40, their own 30, even that kind of thing. Well, Tate did the exact same thing last night. It led to yeah. Duquesne's only points of the game that you can't, if you're going to put somebody in again, all it's just how it is in today's game that you have the starter and then there's going to be a huge drop off to your backup. Right. But what your backup can't do is, is kill you, right? He can't make those kinds of mistakes that can swing games and, all you want to do is a kid to come in. And if you have to go, you know, three runs or two runs and a, and a pass and you punt, then you take that, but he can't turn the ball over. Not on your own side of the field. Yeah. And, and you kind of alluded to, I guess we, we've kind of drifted towards the negatives and, and you alluded earlier to the offensive lines performance was good, but there were, I mean, you could see it, especially on Trey Benson's runs where there were guys in the backfield and, and that is fine if you're breaking all the tackles. I mean, I, I I forget the exact numbers, and I'm sure it was in the chat earlier. So, John, I don't know if you remember, but um, it was some kind of like record-breaking breaking tackles that they pulled off. Um, I, I think it was like 11 billion. 11 billion. I think that is the yeah. official statistical number is 11 billion. <laughs> Uh, I think it was 900% of all the tackles that were attempted were missed. <laughs> uh, but that, I mean, you know, that's not going to work against better teams. Like you're not just going to be able to be Trey's just not going to be able to just be bigger than those guys. Like he was this weekend. And just, uh, this is from Ben's article, uh, the, what went right, what went wrong. So I want to give him the credit, um, that I was looking for, but they, they had to make some shuffles on the offensive line. Uh, Dylan Gibbons had to move to center. Uh, Robert Scott and Darius Washington had to lead the game. Bryson Estes took over at left guard and Justin Turnitine took over at right tackle with bless Harris shifting the left tackle. Um, if you had a hard time keeping track of that, that is because they were 
uh, honestly, just they just clearly had to just jumble everyone around. Uh, hopefully, like we talked about with Johnny Wilson, that's also a precautionary thing. Uh, but you certainly don't want to be missing guys heading into next week's game and then beyond that, uh, conference play even probably more important so than that. Um, obviously, you know, next week is a big game. Um, but I think you especially want to have all your guys together even beyond that, um, if that's what it comes to. But, you know, hopefully these are all just precautionaries. Hey, we're beating Duquesne. You know, your knee feels a little weird. Come take a seat. We're good. Well, yeah, and your point earlier about LSU is their defensive line is very, very good. So, like you said, yeah. you hope that all of these injuries and these guys and moving them around and taking them out of the game was just a precautionary thing. We'll find out again, like this week, if it, if it's not. But man, this LSU defensive line's got to be one of the best in the country. It's got to be one of this offensive line's toughest tests of the season. Like Clemson's got to be up there. NC State, uh, maybe Miami. Uh, those are going to be the toughest you know, test for this offensive line. LSU, man, they're so good up front. Uh, and I am, I am worried about that. I'm not going to lie, but I do think that they executed extremely well against Duquesne um, in a way that could be translatable to better opponents, even though they clearly outmatched them man to man up front nearly every snap of the game. Uh, obviously they weren't perfect, but it was much, much, much better than what we saw, you know, 2017, 2018, um, 2019. It, it, this group is, I think they're, they're decent. They're kind of good. Right. Um, I'm not going to put them in the top three of the conference, but they're much improved and, and they do have finally functional depth and hopefully they can uh, stay healthy and keep that throughout the year. Yeah. I mean, I might be completely wrong, but I'm going to go with a, a lot of that was precautionary and throughout the the fall camp, throughout the spring camp, they had their five guys, they had who they were going with. And obviously we couldn't say it before what the depth chart looked like, but they had Gibbons there all the time. Scott, Obviously, at center, it's been fluctuating. It's been changing there. But bless Harris, they've liked what they've seen from him. Jackson Turnheim as a backup. Julian Armella as a backup. But Demetri Emanuel as a guard, they like what they've seen from that group. I think that's a precautionary thing. I think, uh, I mean, I, I, like I said, I might be wrong, but I think people are taking it out of proportion right now. They're going to face another LSU team who's going to be a really good, who's going to have a really good defensive line, like you just said. I think they're obviously going to be more ready. And they have a great coach and Alex Atkins is going to look at the film and leaders in there who are going to know what they have to change before they go into next week. Yeah. And talking about that LSU defensive line, uh, if you haven't listened to our uh, preview podcast from, again, I think it was June or maybe it was late May. Uh, most of that still holds true uh, from that podcast. I think the one thing that might be different or two things that might be different in that uh, quarterback Miles Brennan has retired. Uh, we mentioned him as in the running, but even at that time, uh, we were talking about him likely not landing that job and it likely being Jaden Daniels. Um, so we'll get to that quarterback situation in a bit. We talked about the running game, I think was going to be slightly different and I can get to that in a bit as well. But we talked in that conversation about the defensive line being the core group of that roster. Right. Uh, we've, we've talked about it a few times. The linebacking core is fine. The DBs are a bunch of transfers. That's what kind of what they're known for, but they're all transfers. They might work. They might not. The receiving group is really strong. I'd probably put that as their second best group, but it really is that D line uh, name. You know, the, the numbers to watch for are going to be zero Mason Smith, eight BJ Ujilari and uh, 11 Allie Gay uh, between the three of them. They've got a really solid group in the backups. They've got transfers from Missouri and Micah um, Wingo. They, they've got, probably too deep on D line to contend with that. So 
I don't know if you watched the games this weekend and I don't know how much you guys watched of Nebraska Northwestern. I was on a flight at the time. So I watched the whole game. Um, Northwestern just ran the ball 150,000 times. And we're just like, we're just going to wear out Nebraska's D line. I think LSU is probably deep enough where, where FSU is not going to be able to just keep running it. And they're going to have to have to, they're going to have to find success. I don't, I don't think it's just going to be, if we run it three times and punt and get it back and run it three more times, that's great. I don't, I don't think it's going to work that way. Um, they're going to have to find other ways to move the ball. Um, elsewhere, I guess, moving on to the LSU game, obviously that is this Sunday. Uh, John, I think you mentioned earlier, the line is at two and a half now. LSU's favored um, on a neutral site. So that's basically, I mean, they're basically talking about a coin toss. It's a field goal game, um, even though it's it's kind of an LSU home game in New Orleans. It's not that different. Um, so maybe they're giving those couple of points there and calling it a coin toss themselves. I did see earlier looking at it, ESPN's football power index, which is of course the greatest statistic ever created. That's a total guess. Uh, it had LSU pretty heavily favored, if I remember correctly, which I thought was surprising. Um, I'm trying to find it in front of me, and I can't. I think it was. Uh, oh, here it is. Boom, seventy-two and a half percent. They're giving LSU to win the game. I think that's pretty high. Uh, obviously, Vegas disagrees. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the big question mark for LSU is going to be who their quarterback's going to be. I am still really confident it'll be Jaden Daniels. It seems Garrett Nussmeyer is pushing for that job. Uh, Daniels is an Arizona State transfer who was he's a runner, but spotty at best in, in the passing game. Um, and Nussmeyer is more of a more of a pocket passer, but can run. Um, I, I don't know, John, I don't know how much you saw of Jaden Daniels. Uh, his statistics kind of are just eh. Uh, any interest in a guy transferring to a better position than Arizona state, making him better. Uh, and, and any question marks about FSU being able to handle a guy. I mean, I'd compare him to Jordan. I mean, I don't think he's as good of a runner as Jordan, but I think he's in that in the class of guys who could contend with being uh, at that position as good of a runner. I mean, I, I only barely watched Jaden Daniels when he was at Arizona state. I think I caught a bowl game once. Yeah. So, and that was a couple, you know, a year or two years ago, something like that. So I remember him being, yeah, a little bit of a dynamic runner, but also very inconsistent. Like you said, spotty in a passing game. I think last year I just looked it up. He had like 10 touchdowns, 10 picks. Um, obviously there's no context to go with that, but uh, you know, Johnny Wilson would have helped him out. I guess Johnny Wilson was at Arizona state too. You know, coming to FSU. <laughs> um, I mean, I just, I guess looking at this game, I'm kind of surprised that the line is only, two and a half or was open to three or something like that. Um, yeah. Like you said, New Orleans is really like Florida state playing in Jacksonville. It's still really a, a home game uh, right. for LSU. I, I guess, like you said, I, we don't really know what LSU is going to be. They have a new coach. They had a lot of kids transfer out. Uh, the Kelly. A lot of kids transfer in. In. Yeah. He's got his own staff in there. They're doing new systems, uh, new QBs. So a whole lot of transition upheaval there, their program. Um, but I do think top to bottom, LSU is probably more talented than them. So I don't, I don't want this podcast to have like focused all on the negatives, right? I, I want to be clear that, at least speaking for myself, I, I think for the other guys here, we're we're more nitpicking of what happened in Duquesne. I think this yeah. is a very solid bowl team for Florida State, uh, pending injury health throughout the throughout the season. Um, I was really impressed and liked what I saw. Like to Max's point about the linebackers, I forgot to mention, even Jamie Robinson was very good. Um, yeah, so there is a lot to like about the squad. I think they have more than a puncher's chance of beating LSU on the road, basically. Um, 
but it could come down to a turnover, right? And if, if who makes the fewest mistakes kind of thing. So that may be what Florida State tries to do, especially with Atkins as their offense coordinator. Do what he did against UK. Keep it on the ground. Be safe. Uh, put it in Ward and Benson's hands. Um, have Toafili's a change up to them. Run Travis. You can be very, very dynamic on the ground and not really have to move the ball that much. Just, even if you get dominated up front by LSU's defensive line, We've seen over the last two seasons some of those toss read, those toss sweep places where he gets it out wide, right? The running back out in space very quickly out to the edge. Um, we may see quite a bit of that. I think Derek Stingy, right? He's gone to the NFL, right? Stingley, so he lost yeah, his, he's at the yeah. Texans, I think. Yeah. We're Texans. Okay. Uh that sucks for him, but okay. Um <laughs> he's a fantastic, fantastic almost generational corner that LSU had. He's gone. So I do think LSU is vulnerable, right? And I do think Florida State is a very solid team. But can they continue to uh, be mistake-free? That's what I'm going to look for. And you talked about the corners for LSU. A lot of people were talking about the corners for Florida State after this game. Obviously, Jerry and Jones didn't like what they see from him. What do you guys think? that? Yeah, well, you talked about Jamie Robinson. Obviously, he had a good game. I like what I saw from Jamie. I like what I saw from Bernardo Green. Thought he was he was consistent throughout the game, even though you know I guess he didn't play too much. But I, I liked what I saw from him. What do you guys think from from that room? Uh, me first. I um, I thought Florida State safety. That's an excellent question, Max. I thought Florida State safeties were very good. <laughs> Bernardo Green finally healthy is very good. Um, moving Brendan Gant down to linebacker uh, was the right move. Uh, Kevin Knowles looked fine at nickel. Um, I, I, Jamie, that's the thing that we, again, I cannot bring up enough is ever since Norvell came on board, we have finally started to see the development of players that didn't take place under Willie Taggart, or really you could argue at the very, very end of Jimbo Fisher's tenure, um, as he kind of checked, checked it out. So, uh, before he left for Texas A&M. So I'm very, very happy about that. Jamie Robinson is obviously taking the next step, right? I, I don't care if we see Jerry and Jones again in any kind of meaningful capacity. Um, and I think you have a lot of other players, behind them that, that could contribute. Uh, Sam McCall obviously got his, I always love it when a really talented five-star freshman who just destroyed all of their high school competition comes in and get the ball for the first time. And they try to do those insane high school things with it. And you just get blown up like you did on that one kickoff return. It happens to every Uber freshman. Um, it's like a rite of passage. And McCall got his, uh, you kind of learn about the speed and the talent at the college level. Uh, so I, I'm really happy to your point, Max. I really did like a lot of what we saw. They are going to bust someplace. Um, you know, I would expect LSU to hit a few. But overall, and again, you can afford to be aggressive if your offense is dynamic and good and can score and put up points. Um, we'll see, again, obviously, what they do against a real opponent, uh, FBS opponent. But, um, yeah, I'm really, really happy. Bethune was fantastic. To see an FSU linebacker defend a passing lane for the first time in I can't remember <laughs> when was just uh, I was so I was so happy. Um, and, and that's not to take away from Kalen Deloach. He was fantastic. But there was another pay, play where uh, Bethune, man, he triggered right through the hole. It was almost shades of Telvin Smith and just knifed in there and, and took the guy down for the running back down for, for a loss. So um, much uh, there's a lot to be happy with, a lot of good. And that, that's my answer, basically. Well, I'll take it from the LSU side because that that's where my concern comes in. Um, I think the – what's that? Is it, I, I wanted to ask because we're talking about Kayshawn Bell, who's supposed to be an extremely oh, talented receiver. I'll correct you. That's okay. Kayshawn Boutte. Kayshawn Boutte. Uh, that, 
little Louisiana for you there. I'll sprinkle it in. Don't worry. When you get here next week, I'll, I'll be more than happy to teach, coach you up on it. Uh, yeah, he's, he's probably, if he's not the best receiver in the country, he's number two. Um, he had a, uh, I believe it was Achilles injury that ended his season last year. Um, he's likely going to be the first receiver on off the board in this NFL draft this off season. Um, he made no secret about it. Alabama and Texas A&M both came with um, the, the Brinks truck. They came with the bags and uh, they were more than happy to try and get him to transfer on, on two occasions. And LSU had to make NIL deals of their own to keep him, which let's just be clear that, I mean, nothing about that is NIL deals. We're just paying people to try and stay. But I mean, in six games last season, he put up 38 receptions, 504 yards, for 509 yards and nine touchdowns in again in six games. So he averaged a touchdown and a half and um he got hurt in one one of the games obviously and he had 509 yards. So he almost 100 yards, about six catches, almost 100 yards and a touchdown and a half. Uh he's one of the best receivers in the country. So you got to figure out how to stop him. Uh, Malik neighbors is another interesting receiver. Another guy for them. Who's a big guy. Who's who can certainly catch, uh, Jack Besh is someone I think we should keep an eye on for this week. He was kind of the darling skinny tight end who could run routes last year for LSU. And it just never seemed to pop. Uh, he's dealt with shin splints this off season and fall camp. So he's missed some time, but it sounds like he'll be good to go for this Sunday he can be a, a a route runner to get them the five yards. You know, I don't I don't want to do the the white guy thing and call him like the Wes Welker, but think in that realm, the guy who can just make the space, right? I need you to just run a zig and get some space, and he's a really crisp runner in that aspect and just really reliable hands. Um, so he'll be someone to watch. And Brian Kelly had his coaches show this week, and he was talking about um, their freshman tight end Mason Taylor. And in glowing terms, I can't tell you the last good LSU tight end he had. We've had, we've had, look at that. Hello. Um, I said Florida state. We a lot too earlier today and, and last week. So we'll, we'll, we'll let you guys pick on me later, later in the episode, but um, I can't tell you the last good tight end LSU's had. And this week he, he was at the coaches show and he compared him to Bowers from Georgia. He said, by the end of the year, people are going to be talking about him the same. Now, I think that's ridiculous because I think Bowers last season was perhaps one of the best tight end seasons I've seen ever. But, you know, I mean, if you look at what Notre Dame had last year, is it Mike Meyer? Was that his name? He's still there. I know Meyer, M-A-Y-E-R. He was wide open every time, every time against LS against FSU. He was wide open last year. It was like fourth and 10. And there he is 15 yards on the field with no one within a hundred yards. I think he's one of the best tight ends in the country. And, um, you know, he's heaping the same praise on him. So this receiving core for LSU is deep and can hit you from outside receivers, their slot receivers, the tight ends. And now can Jaden Daniels hit him? I don't know. I mean, Nebraska's receiving core this weekend was supposed to be great. K- Casey Thompson was throwing absolute missiles into their hands and just kept bouncing the Northwestern defenders. So if it's the same as that, it doesn't matter how good they are. He's throwing terrible passes. It is what it is. Um, but I would, like Doug John said, I would expect, LSU two hit plays. I maybe I wouldn't panic about it. It's what they're going to do. And those guys are just super talented. Um, but yeah, I don't. I just don't know if there's enough in the quarterback to guarantee. Like, they're, like I don't think they're going to just open the books and just throw all over you. I think I think that's more of what they're looking at. 
Uh, is it is it Mason Taylor, Jason Taylor's son? I think he That's is. That's a good question. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty it. sure he is. And I think I saw him. I saw a clip of him practicing, and the kid looks insanely huge and wildly smooth <laughs> for his size. So he may, in fact, be a future star if he's really that talented. Uh, I think that's who it is. Uh, so he yeah, scares it looks the, like it. He scares the bejesus out of me is all I'm going to say. But to your point, can can Jane Daniels or even Nussmeier reliably get them the ball, get the ball out on time? Um, again, if, if this FSU defensive line is as good as we hope that they are. Yeah, his uh, his his dad is Jason Taylor, the uh, the NFL Hall of Famer, and his uncle is Zach Thomas. Uh, so, from a football family, so um, his measurables are are six five two fifty as a freshman. So oh that's a big dude. So you could have less going for you. Is all I'm gonna say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing, right? And it's what I've talked about. LSU is talented there's not a question there the question is going to be how do they play together because they brought in tons of guys the defensive backs are you know look at their recruiting classes look at where they were they got an all big 12 corner i mean they've got guys it's just how do they play together and it's their first game where fsu obviously has one on their belt they have the confidence already and i think that helps a lot i think that helps florida state a lot it's just, you know, what does it look like? You know what, though? If they go in there and FSU comes out with a one-score win. Okay, first of all, for, for, let me just get this out of the way. First of all, if FSU goes into New Orleans and they come over with a one-score win over LSU and Brian Kelly, by the way, because I can't wash over the fact <laughs> that we've played him way too often lately and I can't stand that guy. But he's a good coach. I can't stand him. But – I will come on here next week after this game or right, you know, in the plot after this game. And I will lie about Florida state winning 10 games because <laughs> it, yeah. Right. Uh, but really, oh man, I feel like this is where this team is at. Right. And they're kind of due to take that next step. They just have to actually go out and do it. And uh, LSU is definitely a very, a very tough test. So when you talk yeah, about, I, you talk, you just go, Brian. Go, you got it. No, cause I'm going to switch the subject. So Oh, all I was going to say was just keep in mind, I I would want people to – I was overreactor, very overreactionary last year. Uh, I was – I remember after the Jacksonville State game, I was like, can you have any confidence that they're going to win a single game this season? And you guys were like, a game? And I was like, I mean, they just lost to Jacksonville State. How am I supposed to look up and say, yes, I have confidence in them winning a game? Um, so I was overreactionary. Obviously, they ended up almost being bowl eligible. So <laughs> – yeah, they I, should I have been if it wasn't for that game. Right. And so I, I'm trying to not be overreactionary. And in that vein, I think if you do beat LSU, that's a great start. You still have to go to Louisville and play a weird Friday night after a week of hearing about how great you are, off a bye week hearing how great you are, plus another week of hearing how great you are, to go on the road, ACC opponent on a Friday night. I don't know. I, I'm. I want to make sure the focus stays where that could then just become a trap game. Um, but then in the same vein, if you don't beat LSU and you lose in a one score game and it's close and it's what it is, I, I don't want it to end up sounding like Notre Dame last year, but you have a chance the following, you get, you get a week to sit around and, you know, lick your wounds and be whatever. And then you get a chance to go the next Friday and beat an ACC opponent on the road, which would be, I get that Louisville isn't the name brand that LSU is, but it would be just as important of a win, if not more. 
Um, so I think no matter how this game goes, I don't want anyone to over super overreact to how it goes. Cause if you win, you know, are you just catching an LSU team at a bad time? Are you better than them? You might be. I mean, this is, I, I was really impressed with what I saw from, from FSU this weekend. I had a lot of friends text me like, Hey, would you see an FSU? Cause uh, quite honestly, no one's sitting down to watch FSU Duquesne on HCC network, unless you're us. And I mean, I was just told him, I was like, man, I don't think FSU could have really played better. And you know, how much of that is Duquesne and how much of that is an incredible F- you know, FSU really taking a step. I don't know, but they looked great. And so I definitely am with you. They got a chance and, um, and I'm not just saying like this 22% chance or 27% that football power index is giving them. I, I, I certainly think it's probably 40, 40, 60, 45, 50. I think it's right there in that coin toss range. Well, before I throw it back to Max to ask his question, I do want to add that. Uh, I, yeah, I did really also like what Florida State showed. Uh, I do think they're going to be a solid bowl team. Uh, so whether or not they win or lose to LSU, I think I saw something. It's not from the F, uh, whatever football power index, whatever that is. Um, They've got like less than a 5% chance to go to start the season six and oh. So, I mean, they're going to drop a game at some point right. very soon over the first month of the month and a half of the season. And that's okay. Um, but again, I do. I mean, I really want this for them right now. I think that they're hopefully that they're ready for it. Um, and it, like to your point too, Brian, we're going to see where their mental maturity is at this point, how mentally tough they are. Yeah. I just don't want it to be where if, if they were, where we turn into being uh Miami or, or Texas where, you know, we're back or, you know, <laughs> use back, bro, use back. You know I mean? Like let's only, let's only if we together. win, let's, let's roll if, it off. If FSU wins the first five minutes, can we can devote to, you know, just trolling everybody. On oh, the internet. absolutely. You guys can just troll on me all week. Max will do it and, in person. Well, not on you, just everyone else. And then, then we'll go serious. But anyway, Max, what was your <laughs> – I'm kind of curious. Yeah, Max, question? take it away. Take your question to the I side. Just, I just wanted to ask you guys because John said before about Jordan Travis's improvements, what you saw from him, what he improved on, and how important it's going to be for – because Brian talked about the team meshing together. We had transfers. Florida State had transfers in the offensive line, had a lot of transfers in the receiving room. So that, they already have a game under their belt. They already know how they play with each other. How will that mesh come together against LSU, and how, how did his improvements help that? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, so well, personally, I thought the biggest thing for me was just it seemed like him and Pittman were just on the same page. I I just thought I thought that was great because I felt there was a confidence that I never felt last year that I felt like if he dropped back and he looked for Pittman, it was gonna it was gonna be okay. Like it was like okay, all right, that'll work out. Even if it's third and seven and it's a four yard game, like okay, I, it's, it's whatever. It wasn't a disaster. He got a he got a play playoff fourth and three. Maybe they'll go for it. I don't know, but I. I at least felt confidence that there was a guy who would do something, which was more than I had last year. Right. I, I agree with that. I, I think to your point, Brian, what you just said is the comfortability, his yeah. level of comfort within the system, because now he's been there for so long. So last thing was when people are talking about the development. I'm not going to say there wasn't some, I just didn't see it to maybe the level that people had talked about um, from that, from that prior season, you know, before. So, to me, though, in this one game against Duquesne, uh, even though he's got new receivers, right, and you got new players in the offensive line, all these transfers came in, it's that level of, of comfort within the system and the guys around him. It's almost like he trusts them more. But uh, And last goal uh, um, of Krypton, right, the contributor on Tomic Nation had pointed this out in one of the, the quick post-game articles, 
was there was that one play where the ball was poorly snapped and Travis had to pick it up off the turf. He does so, does not panic, resets his feet, and then lobs that bomb to Kentron for 48 yards, right? That, to me, was everything about how Jordan has taken that next step, right? Didn't panic, didn't, which we saw him do in previous seasons, right? Again, I think part of it is that he didn't trust his receivers. He didn't trust his offensive line. Um, And so I'm sure that has something to contribute or something to do with this, but just on his own uh, within him, within himself as a player, he, you can see that he doesn't let the moment become too big for him. Now, again, LSU, obviously it's not death Valley under the lights, but it is, New Orleans, it's going to be pretty wild, insane atmosphere in the Superdome or wherever they're playing. Um, yep. Okay, good. That's what I thought. But so it's going to be insane. That stadium is going to be incredibly loud. They're probably 60 to 80% LSU fans, um, if maybe not more. But the way that Travis played against Duquesne, even though Duquesne was wildly overmatched all over the field, it translates what Travis was doing to a better opponent, right? If if we get a poor snap on the artificial turf in the Superdome uh, next Sunday, I don't have any expectation that Travis will react any differently than he did against Duquesne. That's kind of what I'm getting at, right? Even, even his throws out on the bubble screens were much more precise and smooth than they were last year or the year before. Yeah. So it's just everything about being comfortable, trusting his offensive line, um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, even that big throw to Johnny Wilson, right? That was a Mills concept that, that Spirit did. We have a dig coming from the backside, right? And then you have the post. If the safety comes down on the on the dig, the crossing right over the middle of the field, you throw it to the post, which is what he did. In stride, on time, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't like the way Wilson tried to catch the ball. He, if he caught it with his hands away from his body, um, Wilson probably walks in for a touchdown. But Beyond that, also, we saw Travis throw to the middle of the field in a way he hadn't last season, right? He wasn't comfortable enough doing that. We couldn't trust him to do that. Everything was kind of out to the side, right? The edges and everything like that. Again, part of it was because we didn't trust the receiver to go over the middle, run the correct route at the right depth and all the other stuff. So, I mean, we even heard that Andrew Parchman in the 4th and 14 against Miami didn't even run the right route. That was a rumor that was flying around. I, I can't verify that, but that, that was what you know people were saying. All right. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. It's a level that's just the comfort in the system, which you would expect for being in there for several years now. So throwing over the middle of the field, the accuracy. Um, he's not super accurate, but he's more than accurate enough, especially when you got guys like like Johnny Wilson and Malik McLean. They're pretty big dudes. Um, and like you said, he was accurate to Pittman. Uh, Max, I think you mentioned that before. Uh, all throughout the game on, on Saturday night. So that's kind of what I mean when I say that uh, it's it's not just that I I can obviously see the development, but I it was the development in a way that I think is translatable to every future opponent on the schedule, and that's that's really really good. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I think Florida State is going to make a bowl game this year. Yeah, and I think one of the my favorite things that I saw from him was his focus on passing the ball because he would take time last year where he would get the ball. If he didn't see it, and that comes with the trust of your offensive line, that comes with the trust of your receivers. If he didn't see it, he's running. And that didn't happen too many times yesterday. Obviously, it happened because he's a he's a running quarterback. He likes doing that. He likes getting the catch for himself. But his focus on passing the ball and making sure that his receivers are there, making sure that they run the right plays, was definitely, was definitely shown yesterday. I think that was great. Oh, absolutely. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we do see a little bit higher level of comfort um, 
whenever Florida State's gone out and gotten four transfers, is it right? You have Winston Wright, who we didn't see, but hopefully we will at some point. Uh, Deuce Span, right? Uh, uh, Pittman and Johnny Wilson. There's four transfers. You completely flipped the entire room. Maybe now you have guys who either through their size or through their athleticism or just maybe even experience get separation or can create separation or even make contested catches, right? Uh, and then you added Malik McLean and, and Kentron Poitier, and hopefully those guys have taken the development. We want to see Kentron obviously look better than he did at any point last season. I know he didn't play much, but the guy who played last night is night and day better than, than the guy from, from 2021. So all of those factors combined, again, I mean, when you're Travis and you're dropping back, and last season it looked a lot like, to your point, that he would just hold the ball, right, if, he, if it wasn't there or he'd wait until he was for sure that they were open. And if it didn't really materialize, then sometimes he would just take off. Now, maybe you have guys that you believe you can get open, right? You trust they're going to get open. Or if you put it in the right spot, you believe that they're going to come down with the catch. That changes everything for a quarterback, I think. So um, I'm really happy with Jordan's development. This conference has a ton of really good quarterbacks. We'll see where he kind of ends up in that, in all the tiers and when all, you know, at the near the end of the season, everything gets shuffled out. But uh, I'm really, really happy with, with Jordan Travis, the way he played on Saturday. And I think the way you talked about the receivers too, you still have players like, like Ja'Kai Douglas who didn't play, have players like Winston Wright who didn't play, Keyshawn Helton who helped you last year who didn't get many stabs or maybe he didn't play. I didn't really see him much yesterday, but there's obviously weapons in that group. They just have to see how they mesh together and how they're going to, whatever play comes about, that's where you're going to hit either Wilson, you're going to hit Pittman or, or McLean. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So uh, we are we are reaching the forty five minute mark. So I do want to push for predictions and ways we can make fun of me if LSU loses. So I'll go, uh, Max. I'll make you go first. Unfortunately, you're the youngest. So I'll let John have extra time to think. His brain takes a second to come together. Uh, so give me your LSU FSU prediction. Can they win? Will they win? Should they win? What do you got? I don't have a score prediction just yet. and Okay, I yeah, that's got to stay in the lab for a few more minutes. He's got to check the test tubes and make sure everything's coming out correctly. I mean, I, I don't want to say something just yet because I had a score prediction for the for the Duquesne game and everyone just, just destroyed me all over the comments. Oh, of, yeah. Um, also, if you're an asshole to Max on Twitter, you can find me in real life. <laughs> like, quit being such an asshole, bro. No, quit no, being no. an asshole. I just don't want to see a score prediction yet, so I'm going to have to see on the score prediction. Like, they won't, they won't like to hear this again, but – I don't have FSU winning. I think LSU is going to take it in the Superdome. Um, Jaden Daniels, I don't think he's going to have a, a crazy game, but the running is going to hurt Florida State. Um, the receivers are obviously going to help him, and that that defensive line is just it's just it's just too much for the offensive line right now. The, the offensive line for Florida State, like I said, has improved, but they're not comfortable with each other yet to face a line like that. John, will you save us? Because obviously I'm going to think LSU is going to win here. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to go ahead and I'll, I'll go first because I think mine's pretty obvious. And I'll let you try and be the savior at the end. But uh, <laughs> I just I think LSU is more talented. Um, I think by maybe by year's end, you look up and, and they're much better than we had anticipated. I do think, like I've said countless times in the past few months, this team is ripe to be beaten. Um I just don't know if the ball is going to bounce their way in what we've talked about will be a largely LSU crowd. Uh, New Orleans is an LSU city. I mean, Tulane's, you know, I guess the other university here, but you know, ever since they lost the SEC, that's, that's not exist. This is an LSU down. Um, so 
I fully expect that to be a very large LSU contingent. And uh, I, uh, I just think the talent level is just isn't there yet. Uh, I think this team's coming together. I really think FSU is going to contend and surprise a lot of people. I saw a lot of Miami fans trolling on Twitter this week and going, oh, they beat Duquesne. Go ahead and extend Norvell. He's clearly the guy. And, uh, you know, because they just think he's a clown. But I really think I think FSU is going to surprise a lot of people this weekend. And I just I think it comes down to what I've been saying. It's a home game and the ball is just going to bounce one time too many the wrong way. It's funny because I don't disagree with anything that you guys said, right? LSU is obviously more talented top to bottom. Their yeah. their blue chip percentage has got to still be if, if around or if not over 50%. I believe last I looked, I heard from somebody, uh, four seats is around 32%, right? Um, it, it cratered. Under, yeah, it cratered under Willie Taggart. And the really tough thing about Norvell in this season and going forward next season especially is – you can't get that 50% blue chip, right? Those top 10 classes until you start to win some, some games, but you, you can't win those games without those players. So he's kind of stuck in this catch 22. Um, and while a close loss to LSU would be emotionally devastating, it's not really devastating to Norvell's career or the future of this program, but right. it could feel that way right after all the close losses in Notre Dame and everything like that. So um, whereas if you go two and oh, and you beat LSU, then, Again, I'm coming on this pod to talk so much crap. I'm going to get kicked off every platform ever. So, <laughs> but I, I'm kidding. But with all of that said, right, and it looks like the over-under something like 51 and a half. So I wonder if they're, they're thinking something like 26, 23 uh, LSU. I am going to uh, flip that and just say Florida State 26, 23. They do go into New Orleans. They find a way. Because this is a more uh, mature team, again, they're they're not going to have the talent edge, but hopefully execution-wise, they do. And again, Norvell's offense is built on putting guys in space, creating one-on-one matchups, right? If you do that with Ward and Benson or guys like Pittman or whatever, again, you're, you may not have as much talent as the guys across from you, but you can make things happen, right? If you create one-on-one matchups, it's not it's – not, one floor stake, you know what I mean? It's not 11 floor yeah. stake guys against much more talented. You get your guy right. in space. It's one-on-one. And in those situations, you sometimes are floor state's going to make plays, right? you got guys who are going to make plays. We saw it from Ward and Benson and Pittman and uh, Wilson and even uh, Span. So I'm going to put my faith in that. I do think floor state uh, goes in there and they get, they get it done. And uh, mostly just because I want to talk trash, but also because I really think these, <laughs> these kids deserve it, right? They put in a ton of hard work. They had a lot of heartbreak last season, like the Jacksonville State loss. And I even mentioned it in the, in the pregame prediction with Duquesne that if you lose to Jacksonville State, you could – I mean, that's going to follow Norvell forever. Everyone's going to make jokes about how they can lose to any FCS team they play from here on out forever. You could lose to anybody. And that's not – that's true. But I like this team, and that's why I'm going to pick them. Well, I got a couple of things, a couple of things that you brought up there that I wanted to hit on. First of all, uh, Nick Saban's Alabama program lost to ULM. Mm-hmm. First season, they lost to University of Louisiana Monroe. And now they're the greatest college football dynasty we have ever seen in the history of the sport, because every year they're the best team. And every year it's one team who gets them in one game, but they're still in the playoff. 
and you've got to kill them a second time because they simply are just the best. And that team lost to ULM. And Florida State. Obviously, well, yes, yes. The 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 graphic <laughs> that comes up, the uh, it's like uh, the teams that have beaten Nick Saban, and it's so funny because it's like Auburn's beaten them five times, LSU's beaten them four, Georgia beat them twice, FSU beat them twice, and then it's like the list of like teams that have beat them once are like Ole Miss, ULM, Mississippi State, and like A and M or something. Like it's it's like like the group of teams is just hilarious to look at. That was. Um, that was Xavier Lee, right? In 2007, Xavier Lee beat Nick Saban. <laughs> I'm like 99% sure it was Xavier Lee that's quarterback of that FSU team that year. Yeah. So that 2000, I mean, you can be bad enough to lose to ULM or Jacksonville state early in your tenure and turn it around. So chill, right? Chill. Uh, two things I want to just put on people's radar that I don't think it's talked about, about LSU, their center is not a natural center. He's kind of learning the position. And I know at their scrimmage two weeks ago, Kelly was all over him for bad snaps. Um, low snaps, high snaps, wide snaps. If that pops up two or three times during the game, that could cost them drives. It could cost them turnovers. Um, and that could be a huge thing. So keep an eye out on that. And LSU's defensive coordinator is the former linebackers coach for the Chiefs. They plucked him off the Chiefs as a linebackers coach. But I don't believe he's ever been a defensive coordinator before. Um, so I I hear great things. Tyron Matthew, who's an LSU guy, now a Saints guy, was obviously with him at the Chiefs, said when they hired him, that's a great hire. He's going to be a great defensive coordinator for years. But he's still never done it. Uh, and for your first game, that it's not exactly – you know, I, I don't expect him to come in and put together like a Venables defensive scheme or a defensive plan um, that's going to be untouchable. You know, I think we've talked about it's a new staff. So a, a guy with no experience, that's just another thing that I don't think it's being talked about enough. I don't think it's like this, like, whoa, that'll be game changing, but something to just keep on your radars. 730 Eastern in New Orleans in the Superdome. It should be a fun one. We'll see. Is this FSU team ready to take that next step? And uh announce themselves again they were close last year can they finish the job this season we'll see we'll have you covered of course all that next week till then that's a wrap